young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. We're all very familiar with the United Nations and its specialized agencies, funds and programs such as the World Bank, the World Health Organization, the World Food Program, UNESCO and UNICEF. But have you heard about the United Nations University, the UNU? Established in 1975 and focusing on research, training and providing advisory services, it is also a global think tank. With its seventh rector appointed in March this year, we will be on top of its agenda. Nearly half a century on, how has the United Nations University helped in dealing with the pressing global problems of human survival, development and welfare? For more on this, we're very honored to be joined today by the newly appointed United Nations University Rector, Tilitsi Marwala. Professor Marwala, welcome to the Hub on CGTN. It's an honor to have you. No, thank you very much for the invitation, and I am looking forward to having a conversation with you. Professor Mawala, in March this year, you assumed office for a five-year term as Rector of the United Nations University. How would you introduce this university to our audience? What do you think it uh, distinguishes from other universities and colleges? Well, uh, the first distinguishing factor is that it is not located or in a member state. It is actually a, a global university that is under the auspices of United Nations. So it does not have a, a national interest as many universities are. Secondly, it is actually a, a think tank uh, for the United Nations, but also it does offer training, particularly uh, for people from the developing world. Uh, it is located in uh, 12 different countries, including here in Macau, special uh, administrative uh, region of China. And uh, here and in Macau, we do technology and sustainability. And then you talk about the developing nations. Uh, do we have statistics on the representation of students, researchers from the developing world in the United Nations University? Uh, well, I, I, I don't have the, the, student, the numbers at the top of my head, uh, but certainly uh, it is uh, a good percentage of people coming from a developing world. One of the biggest dilemma of United Nations University is that many of its institutes are actually located in the in the developed north. Uh, we have uh, institutes uh, in Germany, Finland, Holland, Belgium, United States, and Canada. And only um, you know in the in the developing world is China, uh, it is Malaysia, it is Ghana, and Venezuela. So there is a need for us uh, to expand our representation in the global south. The United Nations University was established in 1972 and inaugurated in 1975. Now, half a century on, uh, what has been its major contributions, in your opinion, and in what fields? And during your tenure, um, what are the priorities and expectations from you as rector? Well, uh, there, there, there are many, many things that uh, United Nations University has contributed to. Just last week, it was uh, a secretariat for a high-level uh, advisory board uh, on multi, on effective multilateralism, and which the report, which was uh, co-chaired by the former president of Liberia and the former prime minister of Sweden, uh, but uh, the brain that uh, drafted the report was actually the United Nations University, and I had the privilege of uh, 
being in the room when we handed over the report to the Secretary General of the United Nations. Now, when it comes to what I would like to achieve, I would like to ensure that uh, United Nations University is much, much more visible uh, globally, both in the global south and the global north. Uh, secondly, I would like to expand its teaching and learning as well as policy-relevant research. Uh, and thirdly, I would like to uh, expand into the global south and United Nations University can actually act as a bridge that connects universities in the global south to universities in the global north. Now, specifically, when I have to go back to the issue of what we have done, just here in Macau, in our institute, that primarily has focused on technology and sustainability. Uh, the work around artificial intelligence uh, has been done here. The, the, the work around uh, representation uh, in technology by women is another piece of work that has been done. The work around cybersecurity, which is really going to be the next frontier of uh, global conflicts, is also the work that has been done here in Macau. Rector Mawala, if you look at great universities history has offered, many of them, uh, if not uh, the majority of them, are uh, privately owned and privately initiated. If you look at Yale, um, Stanford, and Harvard, and uh, Oxford, how confident are you that the United Nations University uh, can somehow blaze a new path? Uh, and if so, what would be the end goal uh, from you for this university? Our main advantage is that we are a neutral partner. If you look at Yale, it primarily is an American university, which means that uh, very much part of its agenda is to assist the American economy. If you look at Oxford, it is a British university. So you can never really separate the national mandate from national universities, because that is why they are there. You know, uh, even though they are private, Yale is private. If you look at uh, the amount of fund, grant funding they receive from government, it's actually quite substantial. Now, what distinguishes uh, us is that uh, we really uh, do not have a national mandate. We have a global mandate. So problems of uh, sustainable development goals, which require global cooperation and solidarity, perhaps can be done better by us than by those universities. If you look at uh, issues of peace and security. Uh, of course, um, there's a huge amount of uh, capabilities in national universities, but I think uh, we are easily a trusted party because our mandate is exactly that. Our values are values of uh, the United Nations, which is really global peace and security, as well as sustainable development. Right. You're currently in Macau, China. Um, how would you envision cooperations to be like between the university and Macau in particular and China at large? No, absolutely. We, we want uh, the United Nations University in Macau uh, to be a bridge uh, that connects the uh, data world at large uh, through the United Nations and its values to China. For example, yesterday we were celebrating our 30th anniversary and we had uh, a representative, uh, the country leader of the United Nations in China, as well as uh, uh, ambassadors from many different countries. So how are we uh, envisaging uh, the future? 
I think we will have to cooperate more with universities in Macau. Uh, there are great universities in Macau, but also with universities in, in, in mainland. And I am looking forward to that cooperation, dealing with the problems that we here at the United Nations are actually worried about. Uh, the fact that, uh, uh, you know, we have not been able to meet uh, sustainable development goals. Uh, for example, only 12, you know, 12% of the goals have been met and 50%, uh, you know, we are trailing behind and uh, the rest, uh, we have actually gone backwards, you know. So, and uh, the United Nations University, together with our partners uh, in the wider world and in China, are going to work in collaboration to achieve this. Director Mawala, talking about sustainable development goals, you co-hold five patents and have been committed to leveraging technology and global connectedness towards the pursuit of sustainable development goals and the solutions of them. Uh, regarding the SDGs, in what aspects, in what areas do you see gaps that technology could perhaps plug? I think uh, technology can plug gaps in all SDGs. I'll just give you an example, SDG 1 and 2, reduction of poverty and elimination of anger. Uh, it is quite clear the role of uh, uh, technology in agriculture is going to be quite important uh, to deal with issues of anger. It is quite clear that the role of technology in production, and of course uh, SDG uh, 12 uh, basically prescribes that we have to responsibly uh, produce, uh, but the role of that in elimination, in reduction of poverty is very, very key. If we go and talk about issues of SDG 4, which is around health, uh, you know, they you know, uh, technology is uh, is a big equalizer in health uh, because it is going to reduce the cost of health. So all SDGs require technology to be moved forward. Sir, we also know that you are the author of over 20 books. That is really impressive, 20 books. Uh, the latest one you co-authored and released in China is called Military Conflict Modeling Based on Computational Intelligence. This topic has rather rarely been touched upon and researched here uh, in China so far. Uh, would you further elaborate on what that is about? Uh, in what ways could computational intelligence apply to the modeling of global conflict solutions and predict the possibility of wars and really the avoidance of wars? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, we would now we live in the, in the era of computational or artificial intelligence and the same thing. Uh, uh, and in this era, data is a very important aspect of decision making, and we need to use this technology of AI in order to build uh, support systems to be able to aid lawmakers in governments and in the private sectors to make more effective decisions. And what this book is about is how do you use uh, AI to be able to predict the onset of conflict so that you can be able to prevent conflict and uh, thereby assure uh, peace in the world. But in reality, how feasible is this? I mean, technology, that technology sounds, sounds terrific. But if you look at the Ukraine-Russia conflict, uh, has been years in the making. You can argue that uh, it was the NATO expansion towards the east. You can also argue that it was the uh, aspirations of Moscow uh, that perhaps uh, went a little far. But really, regarding realistic uh, applications of the technology, how would the results from this computational modeling uh, can perhaps inform and even resolve the current conflict in Ukraine? 
Well, I think uh, in general, uh, we need to use everything to ensure that there is global peace. We need to use technology. Uh, we need to use data to ensure that there's global peace. But that, those themselves do not replace dialogue because uh, uh, very often in conflicts and almost all, all always there are people. So we, we should never give up in bringing people together to uh, converse and uh, to trade because uh, uh, one, one of the things that we have learned is that uh, the more people interact with one another, uh, the more we bring them into the same classrooms, which is really what the United Nations University is trying to do, the more they understand each other. And in the long run, uh, that is going to assure global peace and security. So uh, as far as peace and security, I think technology is very, very important. And we need to uh, teach it to our lawmakers, but also we need to embed it at our universities, particularly in areas of social sciences and humanities. I want to you know, f further ask you a question about military conflict modeling based on computational intelligence, because this sounds so intriguing, uh, if you don't mind. Um, what would be you know, the next area, next region of conflict, if you look around the world, based on this modeling? Uh, could that be the, the Middle East or Latin America or Africa? I mean, what could this conflict modeling tell us about the, the next uh, major conflict? Well, I mean, this is a tool that you use in order to analyze uh, global uh, interactions and, uh, and risks. Uh, and, and it's not only just for, for policymakers, it's also for people who want to invest in specific countries. Now, I, I'm not going to get into the specificities of, uh, of countries as an international civil servant, but certainly I would say that uh, as a matter of principle, we need to use information to be able to understand the future, and we need to be, be able to use information to be able to plan for the future. What we need to do is to promote, given our understanding of, uh, of how the future looks like, we need to deploy, uh, get people together so that they can converse more, so that they can trade more, so that uh, ultimately peace can prevail in the future. You have also been a visiting scholar and professor at universities across the world, the United Nations, the United Kingdom, China and South Africa, uh, with extensive academic and policymaking experience across different countries and cultures. Um, what do you reckon is key to cross-cultural communication? And in the face of current geopolitics and power politics, in what areas is international collaboration urgently needed? Well, I think the first one, we need to get people to interact more. And universities are very good spaces in order to do that. And we always say that uh, our students, uh, when I was still in South Africa, uh, I used to say that uh, South African students must go and study everywhere around the world. They should go to China, they should go to Europe, they should go to America, because they will be able to understand how the world works, and they will be able to form friendships that are going to become very, very important when they hold responsible positions in national uh, organizations as well as international bodies. Very, very important. Secondly, I think uh, um, collaboration between institutions is very, very important. I think universities, it doesn't matter where they are, they must have collaborations that are located all over the world. Universities that are in China must have collaborators in the West, they must have collaborators in Africa and Oceania and uh, South America, 
uh, so that we can be able to create a global ecosystem and create uh, the necessary uh, critical mass of people who are going to tackle global problems. You cannot be able to tackle global problems unless you have global understanding. Um, which do you think has a more formative impact on a person's life? Is it uh, college education, schooling, or the career path? How formative do you think a university education can really give to a person uh, you know, in their early 20s? A human being is a complete entity. So what happens in primary school, for example, is just as important, maybe more important. Uh, what happens at uh, college is also quite important. Um, and then what happens at the workforce is, is actually quite important. What we need to do is to make sure that we preach the right views and values to students, irrespective to students and people, in, irrespective of whether they are in primary education, whether they are in at university or whether they are at the workforce. What are some of these values? I think ethics is very, very important. I think uh, uh, the pursuit of harmony in society is a very important uh, concept that we continuously have to teach whether somebody has graduated from university and they are in the workforce or whether they are at the workforce. Now, specifically touching your, uh, your, your issue, uh, what makes people uh, go into their own um, uh, path? Really, it is because uh, human beings uh, are affected by uh, other factors rather than just what happens at, inside the classrooms. Because even when you were studying with these people, uh, they had homes, uh, they prob probably had uh, their own uh, beliefs and so on and so forth. So it's actually a complete set of things that uh, uh, influence what happens to society. And what we should do as educators is that we should never give up about teaching the right values, irrespective of whether one or two people are going to go their own path and uh, violate those values. You know. Can you also tell us uh, the current state of education uh, from the perspective of uh, you know, being the director of University of United Nations? Because we know that in the past three years, the education sector really suffered because of COVID. So many classes moved online, so many interactions among students and teachers went online, and many are worried. Well, I mean, I think uh, the future of education is blended uh, as we move forward. Uh, just the physical classrooms, which are actually very, very important, will have to be augmented by uh, digital technologies. Learning today, effective learning today, will necessarily have to involve the use of digital tools in addition to the normal classrooms. One of the things that is now quite possible, and we learn it from the last two years, is that you can have a project a group project in a classroom with members who are working together, who are located in one part of the world, say China, and another member located in the African continent, another member located in, 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 in Europe and North America. So this was not possible many, many years ago. 
and it's really what international education is all about. Um, this is how uh, trade between different countries looks like. So we are having a much, much more, we can potentially have a much, much more realistic world simulated using digital technologies. Of course, there is an element of human touch that is very important, and that is why I call it blended learning. We are in the classrooms, but we are also connected to the rest of the world using technologies and learning together. I want to move on and talk about some of our uh, problems, challenges of the world. As the world seems to be bogged down in multiple crises, be it uh, the conflict in Ukraine, climate change, high inflation, how do you think we could find a common way forward? And what are some of the most salient problems that you want to bring to the attention right now? Well, I think the big issues that are driving our world is uh, obviously sustainable development is very important. I think the advent of artificial intelligence and what it is doing, uh, we have heard about church GPT and uh, what uh, uh, AI is doing in the health sector, something that uh, our institute here in Macau is, uh, is actually working on. Uh, we have also heard about uh, how all these technologies have ethical implications. Uh, we have to make sure that these technologies actually work responsibly. They have to be responsible. They should not harm people, but they should work for the benefit uh, of people. And of course, uh, uh, the, the global conflict that we see today are some of the big issues that are defining the world. Now, as an educator, what do we do about these problems? We need to embed them into our education. Uh, digital literacy is becoming almost a necessary condition for every citizen uh, to be able to use digital technologies. Uh, the education that is uh, broader, that connects technology, people, and systems is also very, very important. Um, the issues of uh, the internationalization of education is very, very important to, to promote global friendship and eliminate uh, uh, wars and conflicts. And then, of course, we are living at a time when the economy is changing, where the future of work is drastically changing. Uh, factories are increasingly uh, having machines in their production lines, which means whether it is the psychology of a human being working with a machine or whether it is the economy that is going to emerge out of that is something that we have to study very, very, very seriously. Right. And also, what would you say to those uh, believers in uh, realism? Uh, that is a men's school of thought in international relations that says, uh, at the end of the day, nation states will buy for their own interests and uh, that will inevitably lead to uh, conflicts, if not wars, uh, because after all, uh, there, there is no such thing as a world government uh, as many uh, wish it to be. What would you be your response to that school of thought? And in that light, what do you think are the merits of the education uh, the United Nations University has to offer? Well, I think uh, there was a time when many people would think that uh, what happens in one part of the world uh, has no bearing in what happens on the other part of the world. And of course, the lessons of the last uh, two years has taught us uh, that that is completely untrue. 
uh, a health crisis in one part of uh, the world can easily be a health crisis in another part of the world. You know? uh, and uh, climate change is another example. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are, the impact of climate change are going to be felt, and they are going to be felt. Uh, of course, it will depend, uh, it, might be, it might vary the way you feel them. And these are big global issues, and global issues require global solutions. Uh, so, so, and as we move forward, we are going to increasingly find that it is not beneficial to isolate ourselves, that what is beneficial is actually to create a system where nations can trade, of course they can compete, and there's nothing wrong with competition, as long as uh, it is healthy competition. Uh, but certainly there will be common problems that we have to tackle in a common way, and United Nations University therefore becomes even more relevant to prepare people to be able to deal with global challenges. Right, finally, before we let you go, uh, Professor Moala, uh, prior to your UNU rectorship, uh, you served as Vice Chancellor and Principal of the University of Johannesburg and have assumed the different positions uh, across the world. Looking back, how do you see your life in academia? Uh, what's different this time around? Well, I mean, what is different, uh, uh, obviously, is that now I'm at a global university. Obviously, I was also educated. Uh, I was educated in North America, in America, and I spent a lot of time, um, you know, collaborating with researchers uh, in China. Uh, so that has been very exciting for me. Uh, uh, when I was at the University of Johannesburg, uh, we had uh, very, very dynamic relationships with the uh, uh, Nanjing Tech University in China uh, and many other universities in China. Uh, uh, and I think this is, uh, these are the things that have really interested me. Professor Mawala, we want to thank you for your time and your contribution to global education. It's an honor to have you with us and all the best for you and your colleagues. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That will do it for this edition of The Hub. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye and take care. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn, the 26th United Nations Climate Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. 